Gosh, let's see. You know those mornings when you really don't really know how you woke up or got out of the house? Um, and then you look down and you find a stain on your shirt. Um, well, I'm having one of those mornings. So if you will bear with me in that. Um, Lauren, I really appreciated, wherever you went, uh, there you are. I really appreciated um, some things you said in your prayer. Um, because I don't have children. I'm single. But I really appreciate... Um, looking at you young mothers, um, not only do you make it out of the house every day, but you're meeting the basic life necessities of another human. Um, and I don't quite know how you do that. Um, so I'm thankful that I get to come to church on Sunday and see marriages and see children and see some craziness um, and see some gospel applied to that and see some grace. And so thank you. Thank you for just the way that you live your life, um, that people get to see that, and people do look, I look. Um, I've learned a lot of things about marriage and children, just from my friends, especially some people in this room, and it sounds great, and also very scary, lots of details, um, especially about children. <laughs> They're very terrifying. Um, so I just want to say thank you, and um, I think young people like myself, I'm I don't think I'm super young, um, but single people, we we want to see your life, and we want we appreciate what you have to offer. And you're busy, and we're busy, but I really do think there's some some joy and some some real gospel seen in the effort that we make to connect. Um, just because we're in different stages of life doesn't mean we shouldn't connect. So I'm gonna give a shameless pitch of invite your single friends over. We want to come, I came to bath time last night with, or the other night with Stacy and Roman, you know? Invite me to bath time. I want to come to the park. Um, we want to be there, and we'd love to help out and get to know you. So there's my shameless plug of um, invite your single friends over. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about our testimonies. Um, I think testimonies is a very uh, Christian-y thing, you know? People at a lot of meetings or events or things, we see people share their testimonies. But, I, but when I first became a Christian, I didn't really know what that meant. So I, be, I became a Christian about seven years ago, and it was at a campus outreach event when I became a Christian. And the very next morning, one of the girls that invited me to the retreat asked me to get up and read the Bible with her. And so we started looking at Romans, and she just started um, helping me to see what exactly happened when I came to Christ? It was this big, tearful ordeal, and um, she wanted me to see in the scripture what God had done in my heart. And so we began looking at Romans. And then she, you know, told me to read the Bible on my own. And then a few weeks later, she asked me to think about my testimony. And so I, I very clearly remember she asked me to share my testimony, just with her, safe environment. And I said, uh, well, you invited me to that retreat, and I'd never heard what the pastor said, and I remember crying and praying, and then I became a Christian. And she was like, yeah, that's true, but she said, what happened on the inside? And I was like, I don't really know how to put that into words. I mean, I don't know about any of you um, and, and what your testimony was like, but it was really hard for me to put into words what God had done in my life and how he had orchestrated my life, and, and how he had done all these things. And so what she challenged me and kind of helped me do was spend some time. I mean, we're talking weeks, 
kind of praying about, asking God, thinking about or reflecting on, looking at the scriptures and kind of seeing, okay, God, how did you bring me to be a Christian? And so I'm going to give like hopefully a 30-minute talk, but what I'm, what I'm really conveying in these pages is something that I think is probably going to take weeks for you, if, if you're where I was, or if you really struggled kind of with putting into words like I did. And so I just want to warn you, we are not going to go through all seven pages of this. The last couple pages are some worksheets that you can do later. So don't, we're not going to be here all day. Don't be fearful of that. <laughs> um, so, but within a few weeks, I was able to to give my testimony, and I shared it at a campus outreach meeting with like 30 people or so. And I was able, um, because prayerfully and through scripture and, and over time, I, I asked the Lord to really give me a story, a story that made sense, a story that was clear, and a story that shared the gospel. And so I was able to share it a few months later. And so pretty much my whole, my whole Christian walk, I've known my testimony. I've told people about it. I think testimonies are, quite honestly, the coolest thing ever. God takes someone who is dead, who is spiritually dead, deserving of wrath, under judgment, under the law. Can't You can't live up to it. He takes someone who's dead and makes them alive. I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty good story. And so I um, just want to help arm us today with how to tell that story. You're not going to walk away from here if you don't already know, you're not going to walk away from here knowing how you knowing your testimony. I just want to give us tools. And so this is just a combination of some verses, some ways that I've screwed up, um, and some practical things that I've learned over the past seven years of sharing my testimony. So, but I want to start with just the definition. So I went to, you know, Googled online, went to the dictionary, and found the definition of testimony is to testify. <laughs> Uh, I thought that was ironic. And so then I looked up to testify. And it says, to give evidence as a witness, offer proof from your own experience, serve as evidence to confirm and to bear witness. And that makes sense. And it reminded me of uh, the legal system. When a witness is called to the stand and they get up there and they sit in that little chair and they get to tell what they know, what they've seen, what they've experienced, and they're telling the truth. And then the jurors are listening. And the jurors use the statements that that witness made as evidence when they go to decide if the person is guilty or innocent. And so the testimony serves as evidence to prove a point. And then, so that's our kind of secular definition. If I think the biblical definition can be found in Acts 20. And it says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So if we're kind of combining the definition with what we see in Scripture, I believe we are called to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We're called to bear witness, offer proof, give evidence, confirm, and to bear witness um, to the gospel of the grace of God. And it's kind of like going back to the courtroom analogy if we're the witness and we're giving proof and offering evidence, let's say we're telling our testimony to a friend, we're giving the chance to we're giving our friend the chance to say, "Yes, I believe in those things," or "No, I don't believe in those things." And so we're giving them evidence to help them make a decision, to help them confirm what they believe. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that 
you know, just by sharing your testimony, um, you're saving someone because we all know that we don't save and our, our words don't save and our actions don't save, but it's God who saves. But I do think we see in scripture that there is um, a call to tell people, to testify, to talk about what God has done. And so um, I also added to this definition Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, which is kind of my, if I had to think of like an overall verse for this talk, this would, these would be the verses. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Uh, Rose and I were talking the other day, and she mentioned um, glory stories. And those are like stories of how you've seen God in your life. Something he's brought you through, something he's taught you, something he's really been working in on you, something you've seen him done. So that those are your glory stories. Well, I think we have, in our personal testimonies of how God brought us from death to life, I think we have the greatest, the greatest glory story ever, our testimony of when we believed in Christ. And so that's the testimony we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the testimony of when you became dead, or when you were dead, and how God made you alive. And so um, below Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 is kind of my definition. This is just the Christian definition now might not be right, I don't know. Um, but it says to share and to give evidence of how God has transformed your life and brought you from death to life. And the purpose being to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So we are, each one of us, if we are in Christ, if we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and he has called us and we have given our life to him, we each have a unique story. So talking about that, before we go any further, I really want to talk about two myths that I see a lot in women. And the, one, the first one is that my testimony is not good enough. It's boring. Um, it's, you know, it's just kind of lame or, or no one's going to care. It's not exciting, um, which I totally get. <laughs> um, but I think when, we, when we're thinking that, that our testimony's not good enough or that it's not exciting enough, um, I really think that, quite honestly, has a lot of self-focus. And it's all about, uh, are people going to like what I say? Are they going to remember my testimony? Are they going to think I did a good job? Is it exciting enough to capture people's attention? And that really is self-focus. Um, and that, unfortunately, goes against the purpose of a testimony. The purpose being to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, not to testify to Kristen's life or the awesomeness of it or the lack of awesomeness in a life. It's to tell of the glory of God. And so that being said, I think each one of us having a unique story, no matter how boring or whatever you want to call it, I think each one of us having a unique story shows the intimate love of God. I bet if you were to ask every single one of us in this room to share our testimony, not a single one would be the same. If you asked everyone at ECBC to give their testimony, not a single one would be the same. Similar, yes, but not the same. And so when we're sharing our testimony, we get a chance to tell someone about the intimate way our God loves, that he's not a foreign and distant God who just created us and left us, but he's a God who intricately weaves our lives together, that ever since we were born, conceived, 
Um, I didn't become a Christian until I was 20. So the first 20 years of my life, God was ordaining things from um, who I met in high school to why I went to the college I went to, to the people I met in the cafeteria and to playing volleyball. You'll hear my story later. But God has intricately woven our lives together to the point where we would come alive and that will be rescued and redeemed and ransomed and adopted and justified. And so we have a real opportunity not to think of ourselves, but really to just tell others the way that our great God loves us. Uh, and so I don't think we can say our story's not good enough and our God's not good enough. Um, and the second myth I want to touch on, this is kind of a personal um, soapbox of mine. This quote here is reportedly from St. Francis of Assisi. It says, share the gospel, if necessary, use words. Well, St. Francis was a monk who lived in the 13th century in Italy, and he became a, a believer and gave up his life of, you know, wealth and lived in poverty, cared for the poor. He really met people's needs and loved people, and he was a preacher. So I have two things wrong with this statement. One, no um, early writings of St. Francis, or no writings of St. Francis, and no early biographies mention this phrase. So quite honestly, most scholars say this, this is just made up, that he didn't say this. Maybe someone else said it, I don't know. Maybe it's just made up. But the second kind of lie that I want to combat with truth is in this phrase, I think we see two things happening. Share the gospel, if necessary, use words. I think we see on one side, love people with deeds and actions and serve them in humility. And on the other side, we see proclaim the gospel using words. And I think in this quote, they appear to be kind of at ends, maybe at ends with each other or kind of like independent. Like on one side, you've got good deeds. On one side, you've got say the gospel. And in this quote, they appear to be, I don't know, optional in each other. But I really think that scripture doesn't say that I really think that scripture says that using words in proclaiming the gospel is actually necessary. It's most definitely necessary. Romans 10, how can they call? How can they, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And then 1 Thessalonians 2.8, which is my personal verse for ministry, is so, being affectionately desirous for you, we were ready to share not only ourselves, but also the, oh crap, I quoted it wrong. I'm trying to memorize it. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. So, I think in these two verses, we don't see it as loving good deeds over here, and the gospel, proclaiming the gospel over here as two independent, separate things. I really think the relationship we see in scripture is a relationship of and. Loving good deeds and the gospel. Proclaiming it with words. They go together. They're not separate things. But in today's culture, if we're being honest, and I'm being honest, I think it's way easier to love people with deeds. I will buy a homeless man a sandwich, and I will open a door, and I will befriend someone sitting alone. But it is hard to start a conversation about the gospel. You know, my job description tells me that I'm an evangelist, but I get scared out of my mind when I have to do that, and I have to pray, and it's hard. And it's in my job description. <laughs> 
So I can't imagine, I mean, I'm sure everyone else feels the same way that I feel when we go to share the gospel. But just because it's scary and hard and out of our comfort zone does not mean that we don't do it. So I think if we can clearly articulate our testimony and we can spend time really cultivating that story, then I think you will have a tool in your tool belt and you'll be able to share the gospel using your own story. And that's not offensive. That's not confrontational. When you're sharing your story of what God did in your life, I don't don't think anyone's going to tell you to stop or you've offended me or please don't go any further. No one's ever said that to me. So I think it's a way of loving people and telling them about your life, letting them into your life, but also telling them the gospel. And so um, on the next page, just briefly, is why do I think we need to know our testimony and share our testimony? One is because we're called to be prepared. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being able to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. So we're kind of called here to be prepared. Um, We're called to know why we're hopeful. We're called to tell people why we're hopeful. And um, I have literally been asked this question. Why are you hopeful? Why do you have joy? I'm like, oh my gosh, 1 Peter 3. Well, I'm prepared, let me tell you. Um, And so I want you to be prepared as well. In fact, last night we had... Um, a CO meeting, and every meeting we have a student give their testimony. We let them practice up in front of people. Um, It was precious last night. This girl um, became a believer about two years ago, and she's just crying in front of 50 college students as she's, this is the first time she's told it in front of people, like in front of a group. Um, And so she's just crying up there telling her story of how God made her alive. But you know what she said in her story is that she saw a girl on campus being really joyful and happy, and she didn't understand why that girl was that way. And so she talked to her about it. And like literally the scripture is coming alive. <laughs> if you are living out, and I'm sure you have friends who have maybe said things, alluded to you know their lack of happiness or joy, and maybe even alluded to your happiness and joy, um, which is stable in the gospel and not... Anyway, um, but you, ha- you can be prepared to answer them by knowing your testimony. And another reason is we're commanded, Acts 10.42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. I don't, I don't really have anything to expand on that because I think it's pretty clear that we're commanded to tell about who Jesus is. And so now we're going to get to the, um, the nitty-gritty of the talk today. Um, I want to, I want us to figure out how to share our testimonies and how to be clear about them. Because if you're telling your testimony to act as evidence to someone or proof to someone, you want to be clear. So you need to take time to kind of make it clear. Uh, when I first told my testimony to that girl, um, right, right after I became a Christian, that didn't make any sense. But after working through it for a few weeks, it became more of a story that was clear and um, I could share with people and they understood. So I believe that a testimony can be broken down into three parts. The first is your life before Christ. The second is how you became a Christian. And the third is your life after Christ. And these, I think, are very clearly seen, and I hope that I show you them, in Ephesians 2, which we're going to look at 
more in depth. And then Acts 26, which we're not going to look at, but I included in the last page of your handout, I have Acts 26 and then some questions for you to think through if you want to do it later. So these three parts, um, what we're going to do is I'm going to read Ephesians 2, then we're going to talk about each section. I'm going to give you a key point and then questions that you can think about. Um, kind of ways to, so like for ways to answer your life before Christ, I'm going to give you questions to think about. I'm not saying you need to fill out the answer to every question. These are just questions to get you thinking. And I'm also going to ask that while we go through this, you don't write your answers to these questions already. I'm actually going to give you workshop time at the end of my talk where um, I have this, this Ephesians 2 printed out for you on page 5 or something, and I'm going to give you time, five minutes, just jot down any thoughts you have. So please don't answer the questions yet. You'll have time for that later. Um, so I hope that's clear. And I'm also, in each section, going to share my testimony. But I'm going to be like stopping and starting at each testimony. So it might sound like, might be a little disjointed. So please forgive me there. All right. So let's read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So number one, the first section, life before Christ is verses one through four. And the key point in these verses is you were dead. You were dead. You followed the ways of the world. You satisfied the cravings of your flesh and in your desires and thoughts. You were disobedient. In other places in scripture, it says that by nature, um, we were enemies of God and hostile to God in thought and mind. And so you want to kind of accurately portray that in your life. How were you dead? Um, so some questions to ask yourself is, what was the main focus or goal in your life? Um, what craving of the flesh, desires, or thoughts did you follow? What was the key problem, emotion, situation, or attitude you were dealing with? And this question, I think, is a real big one. Um, how did you try to satisfy your inner needs? And I think a big example of this is, uh, how did you try to satisfy your need for purpose, security, and fulfillment? Um, I think that God created us to need these things. We need purpose, security, and fulfillment. And the only way we can completely and perfectly find those is in Christ. So before we're Christians and we're not in Christ, I think that we're searching to find purpose, security, and fulfillment. And so what are some ways that you searched? Um, I think purpose is we want to feel valued and we want to have a place and we want to 
have a name and importance. And so how are you searching for purpose? And how are you searching for security? Uh, how did you want to feel safe? Know that you were loved, feel loved, be loved, uh, be maybe financially secure, emotionally secure. Um, and how did you find fulfillment? I mean, we all want to be happy and joyful. And so how did you do that? Um, what did you find to make you happy before you were a Christian? And I'm not saying everything you did before you were a Christian is bad. I'm just saying, how did you find life? How did you find purpose, security, and fulfillment when you were um, dead, when God, when you did not know God, when you were following the ways of the world and hostile to God? So now, my testimony. Um, my parents and I, um, <clears throat> we didn't really go to church growing up. My parents' parents and my grandparents, both sets, are believers. My parents were kind of over church. It was too hard, soccer practice, all these things running around. It was just way too hard to go. So we only went on the holidays. And so all I knew about God was what I had heard on those holidays. And I knew Jesus was really important because both those holidays were about him. And I knew on TV and just the way that people talked about God, I knew that he was good. So I believed that about God. And I also believed that I just kind of thought the default in America, you were born American, you were born a Christian. So I said I was a Christian. Um, I, just, I literally thought it just took being an American to be a Christian. And so uh, in high school, <clears throat> in high school, I really found that I wanted purpose, security, and fulfillment. But the, the only way I could find that was to try to make people happy. And in particularly came in trying to make my parents and my teachers happy. And so, I mean, I remember starting in as early as like, fourth grade, um, there was like this special reading group and they read faster than everyone else. And I was going to be in that group. I was going to be a good reader. And so, I, you know, at eight years old, I was thinking that my worth was based on being in the good reading group. And so from there, it just kind of spiraled out of control. Um, it wasn't good enough anymore to be in the good reading group. I had to be in advanced placement. And then it wasn't good enough just to be in there. I had to be one of the best and I had to get a good grade on the test. And it was never good enough just to be on the team. I had to be the captain or get an award. And so it was like this ladder thing I was doing, always trying to outdo myself and outdo everyone else, but I could never reach the top. There's always something else I could do. And so in high school, I mean, you know, high school is kind of little. It was fairly easy to be successful and get awards. And so you know, I thought, my system works. I feel good. I'm successful. Everything's working out. It's fine. Well, I get to college, and I went from 1,000 people in high school to 10,000 people in college. And my system kind of fell apart a little bit because it's not so easy to be the best out of 10,000 people. Um, but I certainly tried. And um, I remember my, my freshman year, I would go to, like, three or four club meetings every day. Like all these different like extracurriculars and clubs and organizations and volunteer things. I was in them all. And so that was just what my life was. And the problem was if I didn't get something, if I didn't get the award or I wasn't the best, it was like I was devastated um, on the inside. And so I really do think that I had this tight, 
death grip on success. And if I had it, I was on top of the world. And if I didn't, I was at the bottom of the world. And it was awful. So, time out. <laughs> We're going to stop there. Uh, and so, thinking about our, our lives before Christ, um, we want, we do have to recognize our sin. Uh, we have to talk about that. Um, and so, I just encourage you to kind of process through, especially those purpose, security, and fulfillment questions as to what you had a death grip on. Um, and for some of you that became Christians at six or seven, I think it's, it's hard to think about uh, because, you know, you, you weren't doing anything terrible. You were a good kid. You were six. Um, I do have two friends that became Christians when they were around that age. And so I want to give you their examples, too, so you have a frame of reference. Um, one of them is Ashley, and she actually told me this yesterday, um, that Ashley said after she became a Christian, the Word of God became alive. And she said that she um, wanted to read it and got it kind of, and kind of wanted to understand it more. But before, that wasn't the case. You know, you just, I guess your parents made you read it or, you know, went to church and had to read it. But she said when she became a Christian, there was a clear difference in how she approached the Word of God. So think about anything that you approach differently um, now that you're a Christian. And another friend, um, Jordan, she became a Christian before 10, and she says once she understood God's glory and holiness, she saw her sin in the way she related to her siblings, uh, the way she related to her older brothers. She knew that that wasn't what God wanted, that that wasn't holy and pleasing, and she saw how she was mean, and they hurt each other, um, and so I understand for those that, that came to Christ at, at a young age, it's, it is probably going to be hard to think about that, um, but I just encourage you to pray through it and to try to think even about some of these questions and reflect on maybe more so how you changed after, after you became a Christian, and kind of think, kind of like work backwards, I guess you could say. Start with the end more so and work back to how you were before you became a Christian. Okay, uh, next part, number two, how you came to know Christ. This is verses four through eight, and the key points that you want to share and that we see in Ephesians two is that God brought you from death to life, is that you were dead and he made you alive. And I know I've already said that a lot, but I just, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. Like, that's a really big deal. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't really know anyone else besides God who's bought, brought people from death to life. And so I think there's a real weight there. And even though it may look simple, maybe, maybe you just did say a prayer, maybe it was just with your parents and it wasn't this big ordeal, um, there's a real weight for you being regenerated. John 3 says you were born again. Um, you get a new heart. You get the Holy Spirit inside of you. These are these like really big things that happen at this phase. Um, and that we want to communicate these things to people. But here is where I struggled the most with words. Here was the hardest for me to put into terms what the heck happened when I started crying. Uh, part of us, we have to recognize the fact that God is God, and we don't 
quite understand and we don't quite know how to put into words. And so we have to be okay with that. Um, but what I did to help me the most at this point was to go to scripture and to really look at what happens at salvation. So I encourage you to, under, to try to understand salvation. What happens? Uh, what does regeneration mean? Justification, adoption, all these terms we kind of hear, I encourage you to investigate them. And I listed some, under each section where it says questions to ask, I listed some helpful verses. If you need, if you need help kind of processing through it, you can go to these verses to kind of better understand what's going on. So I encourage you to look up those terms and study those if you need help here. And also, just some, some questions to help you get thinking on this is, uh, what were the circumstances or what was going on in your life? What led up to your conversion? Uh, how did you see your sin? Because I think, I think becoming a Christian involves acknowledging that you see your sin. Jesus says, repent and believe. And so, how did you see your sin? What exactly did you see? What did you learn about God? Was it a character trait? Was it your sin, his holiness? Did you finally understand that Jesus paid for your sins? What did you learn, or what did you finally understand about God when you believed? How did you see your need for the gospel? Did something, a lot of times I think God brings us low, that he might bring us high, and so he brings us to low places. Uh, and so were you in a, a low place? And did any verses play a part in your conversion? It's definitely great to share any verses that help you. Um, Okay, so now I'm going to pick up my story and continue with how I came to know Christ. So where was I? Um, so I'm at college, Coastal Carolina University. I'm a freshman. Um, I'm, playing, I'm playing volleyball one night outside my dorm, and these older girls are playing too. And you know, we're having a great time, and the, we, stop, we end, end the game, and the girls uh, come over and they start talking to me and my friends, and they invite us over to their house for dinner and to watch Grey's Anatomy. And so I was totally there because um, I like dinner and I like Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and so they invited us over. They gave us a ride. We hung out with them. It was great to be in somewhere other than my dorm and eating terrible food at the cafeteria. So I loved that they invited me over. But the thing is, they kept inviting me over, inviting me over for movies and for parties, and their parties were way different than any of the other parties I'd been to. Um, and they started hanging out with me on campus and saying hi and eating with me in the calf and introducing me to their friends. And soon they invited me to church. And I said, sure, I'm a Christian. I'm an American. I'll go to church. Uh, and then next they invited me to be in a Bible study. And I was a little more hesitant about this one, but I just really didn't want to let him down. I wanted to be, you know, successful in our friendship. So I didn't want to let him down. So I joined the Bible study. And um, one of the kind of first things we talked about is kind of the idea of how certain can you be that you're going to heaven? And I thought about it, and I was like, hmm, I'm pretty certain. I'm a really good person. Like, I, I think I'm killing it in the, you know, being a good person area. And that's, I mean, that's all I thought it took to get to heaven. So they were real nice and gentle in their response. And they were like, oh, that's okay. They're like, what if we look at what the Bible says about getting to heaven? And I was like, all right, that's fine. I'm good. I got this. Let's do it. Um, so for the next few weeks, they, we kind of unpacked this idea of how, how do you be good enough for God? Can you be good enough for God? What's God's standard? 
And then they asked me to go on a retreat with Campus Outreach over Christmas break. And I went. Um, and the very first night, the pastor shared um, and explained Romans 3.23, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm telling you, it hit me like a ton of bricks that I was a sinner. I had no idea that I sinned. Um, I just thought sin was doing good things and not doing bad things. I never murdered. I didn't sleep around. I didn't party too much. I thought I was fine. And he started explaining that sin is more than just actions or lack of actions. Sin is the motivation of our heart. And sin is thoughts. And sin is, is anything displeasing and anything against the perfect character of God. And so when I saw God's holiness in light of my not-holiness... I saw my sin like a ton of bricks. And everything that I had set up in my life, this whole idea of being good and being successful, just came tumbling down. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? My whole life has been a lie. Um, But luckily, the pastor did not stay there. The next morning, he said, okay, if we're such great sinners, we need a great savior. And I was like, yes. I do, I do need a great Savior. And so he continued to tell about how Jesus is that great Savior, the Son of God, who condescended to earth. He came down willingly, humble, lived the perfect life in deed, thought, action, motive. Everything he did matched the perfect holiness of God because he is God. And then instead of going his rightful place back next to next to God or up with God. Instead of that, he chose and willingly took on the cross all my sin. And so, as the, I mean, this is graphic, but really this is what I thought is as, I mean, as the nails were piercing him and as the crown was on his head, he was taking my place. That should have been me up there. Um, and so really, I saw for the first time that I was a sinner in need of a savior, but that I had a savior already, that Jesus had already come, and he said that he loved us even when we were his enemy, and so um, that night I prayed. I said, God, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was a sinner, but now I do. Please forgive me, Um, and I said, I want. I want to serve you, God. I want to know you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I don't think anymore that you just are Christian if you're American. (laughs) I think that we have to follow you, Christ, and so I prayed that night, it was actually January 1st, 2008, 2008. Um, so yeah, pause on that. Um, so I hope, I hope from hearing that portion of my testimony, I hope you saw and heard um, me testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Because remember what our purpose is in all of this. It's to not testify about ourselves, but it's to testify to the gospel and to the grace of God. Um, And so I just encourage you to really be intentional with the words that you use during this time of your testimony. Um, I would maybe warn against kind of like easy Christian words that like everyone kind of hears and, and maybe explain some things. Like for example, when I was becoming a Christian, when I, that crazy night of crying, I did not know that, I didn't, I mean, I didn't, I didn't use these words, you know? I didn't, I didn't think these exact thoughts, I didn't use these exact words, but on reflecting 
on what God did for me and learning about salvation and reading the word, I realized what God had done for me. And so feel free to um, include your, you know, your reflection thoughts and things that you realized after in this part. So on to the, the third part, our life after Christ. Now, a lot of testimonies, I feel like, tend to kind of cut this one out and make it real short. I don't know about, I don't know if I like that. Um, I think we should tell people how we've changed. If we're saying God is so great that he makes us dead and then alive, I think we should tell them how we changed, and we should focus on this. So the key point is uh, you're a new creation, you're God's handiwork, and now you serve God. And so I really encourage you, um, I've got some questions listed here. I'm not going to go through them, but one thing that I do is, is the things that I mentioned in my life before Christ, I kind of revisit in my life after Christ so I can show a change. And so I just encourage you to think about that and answer these, think about these questions. Um, so my last portion of my testimony is after that night I became a Christian, uh, my friend started encouraging me to read the Bible, and I wanted to. Uh, I wasn't just doing it to make my friends happy. I actually wanted to read it, uh, and I wanted to pray, and I felt like I could pray. Like I felt like I had this communion with God now, and it was like I wanted to talk to him. And... Pretty quickly, things kind of changed in my life. Now, this was the middle of my sophomore year when I became a Christian. So by this point in the school year, I was already super involved in all these clubs and organizations. Um, and actually, so four months later, after I became a Christian, at the end of the school year, um, I won this award that I had wanted so bad since my freshman year. I'd wanted it so bad, and I won it. And it was the Student Leader of the Year Award. And I remember as I got the award, I was like, this doesn't feel as good as I thought it would. This is not as fulfilling as I thought it would be. For the past two years, I thought this was going to be like it. And you know what? It's not. I, are, I know something better now. I know something better that doesn't make me climb a ladder and, and always yearn for something more and always hurt people to get what I want. I have got something way better than a stupid trophy. Um, and so it was really cool to see how God changed me from having this real death grip on success and winning and being the best. And I mean, within a few months, he, had, he was changing me in that. I mean, granted, I still was in the clubs and I was still, you know, president and doing things, but he was changing, he was changing my heart. Um, into a heart that loves and serves him instead of loves and serving myself, which is really what I was doing when I wanted success. I was loving and serving myself. And so it was really neat to see how God changed, literally changed my heart. He promises he'll give us a heart of flesh. I saw him do that. And that was really cool. Um, and now, I mean, now I work in full-time ministry, and I really tell people the reason I came on staff with CO was so that I could be that girl playing volleyball. And I could meet those freshmen, and I could have them over, and I could invite them to a retreat and give them a ride and really just ask them if they've been brought to life. Because I don't want people to stay. Like, I don't, I don't want people to stay in this vice grip that sin has on them. I think the word that after I became a Christian I felt is freedom. I really felt like um, I could succeed or I could not succeed. And that was okay. I was secure. I was loved. I'm a daughter. I'm redeemed. I'm adopted. And I have freedom. So 
that's the end of my testimony. Uh, I promise we're super almost done. Um, I just have three warnings I wanted to briefly give you when, when talking about sharing your testimony. Uh, and the first is just keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing being our purpose to testify to the glory of God. That's what it is. Keep that the main thing. Uh, don't spend too much time on your sin and don't glorify your sin. I heard a testimony once uh, and they were like, yeah, I partied a lot and it was awesome. Well, really? It was, it was awesome? Because I'm pretty sure that was sin and you were dead. <laughs> um, maybe it was awesome on Friday night and then Saturday morning you woke up and felt terrible and alone and you felt sick. So, you know, if, when you're explaining your sin, try not to cheer for your sin in actuality. Um, and I would also caution you not to get too personal. You don't need to share all, the, all that all, all the stuff up here with people, or even even one on one when you're just sharing your testimony with a friend. You don't need to you don't need to give them everything. I think maybe as you build a deeper friendship with someone, then you can let them in more. Um, but even Beth Moore, I mean, if you've ever done one of her studies, you know that something happened in her past, something physical or or something happened. But we don't know who or when or why or how. We don't know all that stuff because we don't need to. We get the point. We see how God brought her from death to life. So I would just encourage you to protect yourself as you're thinking through that. Okay, and I am super practical. I'm like a black and white, one, two, three, four, five, A plus B equals C person. So I've got a couple practical steps for you. So how do you use your testimony? And this is something I do on the campus with students. One is be their friend. Uh, just be someone's friend. If you already have some friends, that's great. If you don't have any or you want to make new friends, just say hello. Say hi to someone at Chick-fil-A or at the park or in the grocery store. Um, step one is just meet someone, be a friend, maybe go out of your comfort zone. I know it's a little scary. Um, and step two is just associate with Christ. So maybe just acknowledge the fact that you go to church. Acknowledge the fact that you're in a Bible study. You're not throwing Christianity in their face, but you're just letting them know where you come from. Step three, I think, is share a testimony. I think as your friendship grows, you'll want to share about your life, and you'll want to hear about their life. And so share a testimony. Step four, share the gospel. And someone, I think, is going to speak about sharing the gospel next week, sometime soon. I don't know when. And then step five is follow up. Ask them, do you, do you agree with what I said? What do you believe? Have you had an experience like that with God? What's your life been like? Um, and now next steps to clarifying your testimony. So these are like more personal steps that you can do is um, obviously pray. And step two is what we're going to do just in one minute is on page five, I've got page five and six. I've got Ephesians two written out and I've got each step of your testimony and I've got those questions. So I'm going to give you five minutes to bullet point some things down in these areas. But I encourage you to later spend more time thinking about these. I think it should take more than five minutes. Uh, step three is to write out your testimony. Just in your journal, on a piece of paper, write it out. Step four, tell a close Christian friend your testimony. And here's the kicker. Ask them for feedback. Let her ask questions. Let her help make sure your testimony is clear and easy and understand and she gets the gospel. And then step five is also a big one. It's tell someone who's like an acquaintance or a new friend your testimony. 
tell someone where it's maybe a little bit harder, you're a little bit nervous to scare, or a little bit nervous to share, there's a little bit of fear, I challenge you to tell someone you don't know super well your testimony. And then six, pray again. So I think we're going to try to get some music going. And uh, right now you have five minutes, or I'm just going to give you one song, and look on page five and six and just bullet point some areas of your testimony.